Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming from my den here in the heart of the northwest of England. We're currently feeling the effects from Storm Corrie. Last time it was Barra. Now it's Corrie. It's almost like extreme weather has become more frequent. I'm completely and utterly surrounded by my stuff. Frankly, it's getting ridiculous. I've actually considered building a dividing wall in the den, made of books. Wouldn't that be cosy, I thought, somewhere to retreat from the storms and the slings and arrows of daily life, walls of books with little windows and fairy lights illuminating the inside. I could sit on scatter cushions, surrounded by my wonderful books, hundreds of books. Wouldn't that be magical? No, Dirk, it would be a form of insanity. But we have to find comfort where we can get it. Here on my right is my great library of RPGs and my grognard files. I'll just lift down the latest. Yes, number 52. It almost feels like we're moving into a new season. And we probably would if I could work out how to present these things as a season. This time we're going to go right back to when we first started playing. And a game that we played a lot over a short period in 1983. Here on my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll, uh, I'll just give it a tap. Ah yes, the eternal champion is appearing as an evil priestess in the Death and Divas episode of Midsummer Murders. Because crime is in the air for this episode of the Grog Pod. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to play in gangster RPGs. Gangbusters was first published by TSR in 1982. It was described as a 1920s role-playing adventure game, as it emulated the roaring 20s cops versus mobsters, dark city noir that were the staple of 1940s to mid-50s cinema. As players, you can play police, G-men, private eyes, reporters, or actual blooming criminal gangsters in the setting provided. An incredible fold-out map, one of the districts of Lakefront City, with evocative locations with names such as The Four Juices, Harrigan's Speakeasy, Fanucci's, G.C. Hurley's Five and Dime Store, and, of course, Tolino's Family Restaurant. Great spaghetti and clams, and the finest gravy in town. The rules cover different professions, the legal system, how to get ahead in criminal activity, and how to cope being a journalist. There are rules for driving and firing a Thompson machine gun from a running board while the police are in hot pursuit. We're going to dig into the rules a bit deeper in the second part of this episode. 
We have fond memories of playing this game, and I'm joined by Blythe as we open the box of the original game and recall playing it with our friend Simon. As well as the odd freeform game, we played through many of the different modules that were available. The original game was designed by Mark Akers with Keith Krebs and Tom Moldvay and was well supported with some terrific modules, extremely detailed with multitudinous NPCs and complex plots. Each module fleshed out the setting of Lakefront City, details that are only implied in the actual rulebook. And the first module, Trouble Brewing, is incorporated into the next edition, which brought everything together into a single book. This had the third edition on the cover, even though it was a second, which we'll go on to explain. Trouble Brewing is an excellent module, as it details all the different factions within the city. It's a brilliant setting that really comes to life in play. There's been a more recent retro clone edition, produced by Mark Hunt, and we're delighted to speak to him in the room of role-playing rambling. He's a wonderful advocate for the game, and I'm sure that he'll inspire you with his enthusiasm. We talk about how he used to play, some of the history of the game, and why he went BX in his version, published in 2019. Me and Blythe return to get our coats on, head toward the door, and ruminate on a couple of topics that have been attracting our attention over the past month in our closing remarks. And I'll be back at the end with our usual parish notices and confirmation of what's coming next. Until then, ramblers, let's get rambling. Open Box! Welcome to Open Box Seat, part of the podcast where we look backwards to look forward. We're in the room of role-playing rambling. We've come to one of those empty, hollow rooms in the middle of nowhere because we've had complaints about being in the pub and the jukebox. Complaints about being in the pub? I mean, I've been in the pub. He was alone. Well, has <laughs> got to the pub. Yeah. Never mind if Dean Martin singing too loud. Well, we're in this empty room uh, and it's on the edge of a building site. You've got a creaky chair. I've got a creaky chair. I've always got a creaky chair. Yeah. It makes me wonder whether it's a chair or is it me? <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder. So be careful what you wish for, I guess, is the. Uh, thing. <laughs> and, and we're actually doing a real open box because it's been a while, I think, mm. since we've actually looked at a game that we played back in the day and have fond memories of playing back in the day Gangbusters. Mm. Yeah. I have some real vivid memories of playing this. Yeah, I think it sticks out in your mind because I suppose it wasn't like um it was pre was it pre Call of Cthulhu? Yeah, we, it's before we, we, we started playing it before we played uh, Call of Cthulhu. It, it felt different, I suppose, because we it was RuneQuest Traveller D and D and Sci Fi Fantasy and this was this was a game we did a bit of top secret. But I think this might have come before Top Secret. It did, I it think, yeah. It. So it was, it was the first sort of... <laughs> I don't know, we used the word real-life role-playing. I think it's like real-life, we might come on to that. Yeah. But, yeah, but setting the... What purports to be the real world. Yes. Historical world. And this was uh, Simon's game, and uh, people who've been listening to us for a while will know that Simon was our D&D games master, because under the Prime Directive, it wasn't possible yeah. for us to have... No, uh, another game. We, we all had to have our own game, and you weren't allowed to yeah. cross the streams. No, you, weren't allowed, no, you to... weren't allowed to have the game that someone else had. <laughs> yeah, you had the game, you ran it, and yeah, and that was it. So this was uh, this was Simon's game, 
And this is a game, I think, that he came into his own. This was one that he was really good at running. He was a little bit more committed to it than he was to D&D, oddly, wasn't he? Yeah, definitely. You're right, he got D&D, but he was never, I mean, we discussed this in the past, haven't we? He was never really committed to running that, but he was quite keen to run this. kind of quite liked it. I was thinking about this, about how I found out that he got it. Things have changed, haven't they? Because you're in constant communication with people now, aren't you? Back in the early 80s, you had to depend on actually seeing somebody to tell you that they'd done something. That you wouldn't know something has happened unless you actually were physically present because you weren't, weren't ringing people all the time, were we? We weren't calling each other all the time. No, on no. The phone. no you just... couldn't use the phone. Your parents get annoyed. Get yeah. off the phone. They have the phone bill. <laughs> all, all in my in my house. This may sound really old. We had a shared line for a while. Oh yeah, party line. Party line. You'd pick it up and you'd hear this old lady somewhere else talking to one of her friends. You had to put the phone down and wait till she finished. It was a CIA dream. You could <laughs> phone tap this old lady. Don't know who she was. I don't know who she was. But she, she that's what we used to I think to be fair, by the time this game came along in the eighties, I think that stopped. But in the late seventies we did have the chair the party line. The party line. So I had to wait until I actually saw him I saw him, it was around Christmas. He got this as a Christmas present. And it was just such a surprise because it came out of nowhere. Mm. It, you know, he wasn't he didn't tell us that he yeah, was where getting Where did he get it from? Where did he get it from? Yeah. What, what because I don't think we'd seen it for sale in Games Workshop. We, no. we had uh, regular trips to Games Workshop, like our pilgrimage every every other Saturday or something to Manchester. Um, I don't think we'd seen this in Games Workshop. I mean, it may have eventually been sold there, but at that point, I don't think it was. No, I don't think it was. It was advertised on the back of uh, White Dwarf, and I saw it, but my eyes glided past it because it wasn't elves and dwarves. Yeah, and, uh... <laughs> spaceships. Yeah, it was just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... There were three things I remember Simon going on about and being obsessed about ahead of playing this because, you know, we forget, don't we, that usually it was the anticipation of actually playing that was more exciting than the thought of actually playing. <laughs> yeah. So talking about the world and the setup of it, there were three things I remember. And let me see if these correspond with your All right. All right. The first thing was him banging on about how they only killed their own. It's all right. Gang- being in a- gangsters yeah. are all right because they have ethics and they have a set of codes yeah. that mean that, that. that they, they'll only kill their, kill yeah, their own. Like a code. They'll only kill their own, so they only kill other gangsters. Yeah. So and when they turn up at your butcher's shop threatening to smash it to pieces and beat you up because it's a protection racket, that, that wouldn't happen. They didn't mean it. No. They'd only kill their own. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. so th- that, was, that was the first thing. In, in kind of eulogising the greats, you know, the Al Capones and that, because yeah, they, yeah, they're much yeah. understood, uh, understood uh, misunderstood. The second thing I remember was him going on about nitroglycerine in the exhaust pipe. <laughs> do you remember that? I do remember that, yeah. And I'm still not sure what he meant by it. Yeah. Well, like you blow a car up by sticking nitroglycerine in the exhaust pipe. Because he was a bit of an amateur chemist, wasn't he? And he, he was... Yeah, the chemistry set. Yeah, the chemistry set. What you mean? Yeah, the chemistry yeah. set. Yeah, I had a chemistry. We all had a chemistry set, didn't we? Yeah. But as as boys from the comprehensive, for us, the chemistry set was just a way to set things on fire in your bedroom, legitimately. Yeah. yeah. Without without people complaining, but for him, obviously, it was a 
an attempt to get the Nobel Prize for chemistry because yeah. he went to a grammar school, didn't he? Yeah. He didn't really. He did the same as we did, but didn't yeah. give that impression. Yeah. That chemistry set, all I did with mine was uh, chuck iron filings into the yeah. metallated space burner. Yeah, yeah, because they sparked. Yeah. yeah. Amazing thing, chemistry set. You were allowed to set things on fire in your bedroom. It wouldn't be allowed now, would it? No. Wouldn't yeah. be allowed. No. Be cancelled. So that was the other thing. It, and, and because he kept banging on about this uh, thing about nit- nitroglycerine in the exhaust pipe. You tried, did you? No, every time we came out, every time we came out of um, playing, we'd always check the cars. <laughs> yes. we'd, we had a little routine, didn't we, where we yeah. had mirrors going underneath the car. Yeah. It's like equivalent of te- checking for traps when we were playing yeah, the game. Yeah, like we were being hunted by the IRS and we had to, <laughs> yeah, to vary our route home and check under the car for nitroglycerine. Yeah, yeah we even had a mirror that we put on a pole that we went underneath just to... To be clear, this is in the game, not in, not game, in real yeah, life. Yeah, we didn't, yeah. <laughs> didn't check the car. I mean, it was tough in Bolton, but it wasn't that bad. Mm. And then the third thing... Uh, was the idea of presence. Now, we'll talk a bit more about the rules next time, but there is this concept in the game called presence, so each character has this score that indicates the impact that you make on a room. And he used to talk about it in the same esoteric manner that he did about alignment. Charisma. Yeah. It's charisma, really. It's charisma, but it's a bit more than that in the game, I think. We'll come on to it. (laughs) He did did talk about it as if it was some... It's a fascinating new rule, new concept in gaming. Yeah. Uh, you would always use the uh, example that Al Capone had a very high presence. I can feel your presence. <laughs> well, those are, those are the three things that I remember. It did, what do you remember of uh, playing it? I, I can remember, what I remember most is about us wanting to initially play gangsters. And him being very, very strict about if you wanted to become a gangster. I don't know if this is in the rules or not, but he gave the impression it was. You had to commit a crime. So you had to go out and commit a crime, otherwise you couldn't start to get yourself into a gang. You couldn't, you, you wouldn't yeah. let us start as gang. We, I think we said, oh, we'll be mobsters then. Can we be hitmen or something? We had to start as uh, street had, ruffians. Yeah, you would make, you, you would do, yeah, start at, the lowest level, and you couldn't be a gangster to start with. You had to be essentially someone who, who wasn't a criminal and then go and do something criminal, and then you could start on the path. slippery slope, or the path or slippery slope, then you look at it, to becoming a gangster. But I remember it felt weird because it was like, so we've got to go and what, rob somewhere. That's what we've got to do, is it? Like it's some rite of passage. Yeah. I don't know if that, is that in the rules? Is that... I, there, there is, uh, is about about, yeah, about leveling, so, yeah. yeah I and again, we'll probably go into that a little bit more mm. when we look at the rules. But yeah, there is uh, this idea that you move through the ranks, and it's similar to D and D, each stage has a different mm. uh, name, like hoodlum, or yeah, you know, yeah, that, like that, a name, a name for your level. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that's what I remember, um, and I remember trying to trying to get my head around how a coin roll. Oh, yeah. It's a weapon. <laughs> Coin roll is a weapon. What on earth does it mean? How did you use it? Well, this is, we did develop that, didn't we? Whether it was on the outside of the knuckle or in, in the knuckle. Because, of course, we couldn't look it up in the, on the internet. No, no, no. I, I, yeah, that was it. I couldn't, could never work out whether it was like a, a, a roll of coins you put in your fist to make your fist harder or you wrapped it round your fist, like a knuckle duster, but you wrapped it round. I always remember thinking, is this the best you can do? <laughs> It's mobsters. I mean, you went to it. 
I think what, what the what came across was there was a reluctance on his part to let us start out as traditional mobsters. So what I wanted and what you wanted was a Tommy gun in a violin case and to get into some proper car chases and shoot people and do all the kind of classic, stereotypical movie mobster type things. But you basically had to rob a liquor store and the best you had was a coin roll in your hand. And yeah. I always remember thinking, oh, come on, come on. Yeah. Can, we just, can we not just get into... Let's just say where Al Capone's hitmen send us on a hit or something. There's something exciting, but it started, it had to be. And I think that's why what we did eventually is we became, uh, we ended up playing the feds and the, the what is technically the good guys, we ended up playing the police yeah. because somehow that, that enabled you to do more exciting things. Yeah. He wanted us to do that as well. You're right. I think there was a bit of reluctance. And, Looking back on it, I can understand that reluctance because all we were wanting to do was translate our murder hobo instinct. <laughs> murder hoboism into yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Going through Lakefront City, door yeah. to door, killing everybody and emptying the pockets. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the uh, box here. Let's actually open the box and open see box, what's, it, what's inside it. Okay, it goes. So, I mean, it's got a great design cover. It's got action-orientated cover, hasn't yeah, it, on here? Yeah. Look at this. And then um, you get the rule book. It's really well produced. The interior art, Jim Holloway's drawings, and they really do give you that sense of what it's trying to recreate. It's really cops and robbers. I think. Yeah, I suppose it is really, yeah. To me, it's not so much about gangsters. It is about that sense of cops and robbers, uh, good guys against the bad guys, in a bit of a playground, which is Lakefront City. Lakefront City, which is Chicago, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of Chicago, based around Chicago. You've got the ward map, which is on uh, hard card, and I could never understand this. It showed you all the different uh, wards in Chicago. And on the back, it showed you the rail network, but it just looks like... Uh, it's just a load of lines. <laughs> you know, what it's supposed to mean? Yeah. How is that supposed to help you? It's supposed to help you in any way. There's that many, you just think, there's not point bothering. You can get anywhere on by train, can't you? What it does show, and I remember us playing into this as well, um, and, and Simon really trying to draw this out, is the... Um, ethnic makeup of the city and in some of the modules um, which we'll go through the ethnicity of um, the characters is important mm. you know whether you come from a, an Irish background or Italian background oh yeah I remember because I remember that um, assimilated American do you remember yeah he'd had the thing where you he, I remember that yeah he did he made a kind of big deal about your um, ethnic the, background and and I mean, me and you just go, what, I'm American? What are you talking about? And, and I remember my character being an assimilated American. It was like, oh, well, what? And, but, but the rules uh, make a big deal of that because that's where the factions yeah, are... Italian-Irish. Yeah, yeah, yeah determines. And uh, yeah. I, I do think that's what makes it an interesting game, looking at, at it now as an adult. Um, just picking up here, I've still got the... Uh, dice in here with the crayon. Yeah, the dice with the crayon. Now, this box doesn't have the uh, little um, cardboard chits um, that come came with it. Because um, I remember us doing a, a car chase using this great street map. Yeah, because yeah. as well as the 
as well as the district map, you get this uh, ward and uh, you get some familiar uh, places around here. So you've got, uh, let's see if you can remember these, uh, Blythe, the Lexington Hotel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, this is like our old neighbourhood, this. My old brother's trucking. Yeah, Goldstein's Jewellery. Didn't we try robbing Goldstein's Jewellery? I think we tried. I think in one of the very first games, when before we became, before we started playing the feds, I think we tried robbing that. Well, it might have gone pair really badly wrong. <laughs> we we did we did. I think uh, he allowed us to play uh, gangsters, and we had a car chase. But the car chase moved very very slowly. It was a bit like uh, four dimensional chess, wasn't it? Using the cardboard chits moving along, and I just remember it being really complicated. <laughs> no, no, like all chess rules, nothing's changed. All chess rules in all role playing games, it, oh, it's complicated. You're going to be playing the game soon, aren't you? When we're playing it online, you'll begin to see that the car chase rules are not as complicated as he no, made them. Not so as complicated as you say. Yeah, uh, the, the, you've got only a few things, but driving a car is deadly. It's probably more deadly being being shot, being shot with yeah. a Tommy gun. But yeah, this is, this was our uh, neighbourhood. The other thing that you get in the box is a, an introductory module, Mad Dog uh, Johnny Drake. And um, what that does is really bring out um, the rules and uh, get you doing a little bit of a, a caper um, in the street. So it is really well. It's, it's great stuff. I love the I love the map in it. We used to have. I used to be a private eye, didn't I? When we were pay, playing on the side of the good guys. Yeah, you were a private eye, and I was a federal agent who were in, in, working in tandem, weren't we? Yeah. So you were kind of my inside man, weren't you? And. Yeah. Um, I had offices above Hardy's Fine Meats in the uh, Preston building. I can't remember what, I'm not sure I can remember what crimes we solved, but we had to deal with Al Toledo, didn't we? Al Toledo, Al Toledo is essentially like Al Capone, isn't he? He's the mob boss, yeah. And one day, uh, we must have been checking the car for nitroglycerin or whatever. As you do, yeah. And we, we, we came into the offices and he was there, wasn't he? Al Toledo was in your chair with a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> and every time because uh, you'll know if you've been listening that Simon used to do uh, characters and we had the Cliff Richard the Dragon <laughs> but Al Toledo was a kind of he, every time he had a, a puff on his cigar he would go poof poof well it referred to that was why he referred to people being uh, killed wasn't it right yeah that was what he would do it would go poof and blow his cigar smoke yeah. out uh, a bit characterisation there yeah, he'll be gone. Poof. Yeah, yeah, that was it. But we remember that thirty-five years or forty yeah. years later. I think we remember it because we wanted to laugh <laughs> and did and did laugh every time he did it because he he seemed just slightly silly, um, and he was trying to be, be menacing. He was trying to be menacing because I think at one point he suggested that if we messed around with his business, he, we would be poof. We would be we'd gone. Be poof. We'd, we'd be yeah. poof. You'd be poof. I said. Um, and that was supposed to be quite menacing, but we wanted to be doing it now. I'm, I'm wanting to laugh now. <laughs> we, we wanted to laugh, and I don't think he appreciated that. So he thought he was doing his best intimidating gangster, and we were laughing, sniggering and stifling laughter. Because that's why we remember it to this day. It was funny. I, I enjoyed those freeform games that he ran mm. with Al Toledo and us being more than the modules because we did play a couple of the modules yeah we did play some of the modules and they were quite convoluted weren't they 
Yeah. So we played Murder in Harmony and Simon being Simon, he did do this with a degree of seriousness, didn't he? And I mm. remember um, rather than have it, playing it in his bedroom, he would play it on the dining room table. Yeah, you could tell that he took it more seriously because it was more of an event, wasn't it? Yeah. I think we got a packet of crisps that evening, didn't we? When? I, well, I think we got a packet. We got crisps in a small bowl. Crisps <laughs> in a small bowl. And uh, did we get some of his homebrew beer? I, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I don't know whether young for that. I, I think that came later. Come later, the homebrew beer. That yeah, <laughs> we're fourteen at homebrew beer. Probably stronger than anything you can buy in the shops now. Yeah, for all we knew. <laughs> no wonder those games descended into chaos. But the, the the modules. I mean, reading them now, so something like Murder in Harmony and Death in the Docks, they're really good and full of character, full of NPCs, loads of them. Because it's done in a chronological way, there's lots of uh, NPCs, you really have to work hard as a games master. And him being 13, I don't think... Uh, it, I, I can understand how he struggled to engage us in it because it did feel like lots of stuff being read out to us. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the... I suppose that's one of the issues with this kind of role-playing game, that it's a little bit more... We were quite young and playing uh, a crime-based role-playing game. In some ways, worse than Top Secret, because although Simon ran Top Secret, Top Secret, you can sort of connect it to James Bond and that kind of thing. I mean, had we seen any gangster movies? Well, I'd, I'd, that, that, that's a good, a good yeah. point, because maybe our reference points, we, we had fewer reference points mm. than we would do yeah. for Top Secret, because obviously you've got Bond and the... Uh, Crime, thr- uh, uh, spy, espionage uh, thrillers. You you could see. Uh, well, we'd watched we'd watched Bond films, gangbusters. I mean, I, I, had I'm trying to think now. Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone with its cream cake guns, which doesn't really count because that's like a musical comedy about mobsters. It's not. But, but that was what the that, game's trying to. That's do. what I connected to though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. and to me, uh, gangbusters does deliver that kind of theme park. Yeah, version of Chicago that mm. Bugsy Malone did. In I think I'd seen um, Sting. I think I'd seen oh, Sting. Yeah, yeah. At that point. And this is the odd thing. I think you look back at the game and reference it to The Godfather or The Untouchables or all these films. I hadn't seen any of those. I hadn't, I hadn't seen Godfather. No. When I think I'd seen clips of The Godfather. I'd seen yeah. James Carr get machine gun to death. I'd seen that bit as a kid because it was on the telly, but I don't think I'd watched The Godfather end to end. And if I had, I don't think I would have understood it completely. You knew what gangsters were, and you knew what you knew about it, but it was more difficult to to frame it, wasn't it, in terms yeah. of what you were expecting? So coming back to the game now and playing it now, I mean, just looking at this map and the tenement buildings and the, you get a real sense of that kind of neighbourhood that you'd get yeah. in the 1920s and being part of it. As an adult, <laughs> facing this now, and, you know, your potential of playing this, yeah. do you get excited by it? What, what, what is it that attracts you to the idea of playing in this kind of setting? Crime is a strange thing in role-play, isn't it? Because it's often a very common feature of it. Mm. But I suppose what's there's differences in terms of being a being in a criminal gang in RuneQuest or D&D and being a, in a criminal gang in a, in a world that was did exist 
very re- we do it very realistically. It's quite unpleasant, isn't it? Crime. Yeah. Going back to Simon's comment that they only kill their own. Well, they don't, do they? No. If you were playing mobsters in the nineteen twenties, well, you wouldn't. You would kill other people, wouldn't you? You'd be quite nasty. But it's nasty people, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and, how, and, do you, how do you translate that into role playing? And, and personally, I'm not a big fan of the police procedural type. Mm. Yeah. Game is that really gangsters about an individual's ascent to power and then holding on to power. Yeah. And that's not what Gangbusters is about replicating or emulating. It's about having a playground of cops and robbers. Is it not about that, though? Because, you, like you say, you've got the levels and everything, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, it doesn't do that, though. Does it, actual... really do, does it not really do the idea that you go up there, so you're like D&D, you, you tent-level gangster, you've got your own hideout with it, all your I suppose, I suppose it, it, it tries to do that on like mm. a surface level, but it's not really that. And I think we talked about this when we talked about Traveller, didn't we? That The idea that Traveller was nostalgic for the 50s, so... Mark Miller's um, understanding of uh, science fiction was yeah. about the 50s rather than you know when it came out. I think it's similar for this, I think, for Mark Akers and the uh, team who put this together. They were nostalgic for um, the Untouchables TV series or those kind of yeah. Yeah. Uh, serializations of yeah. cops and robbers Dragnet. stuff. Dragnet, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that we, we didn't really... Weren't really exposed to that, were we? That's no. what I mean. We were in this strange, I think, t- police TV shows when we were kids were, were things like The Professionals or The Sweeney, weren't that? But a lot of role-playing games are always looking at something through the lens of something else almost, aren't they? Yeah. That's what you realise. But I don't think we realised that at the time, and that's maybe why, whilst we enjoyed playing Gangbusters, we might have struggled with it. But there was that slight disconnect, I think. But coming back to it now, so I do think there is a challenge... Um, with a game like Gangbusters in just setting the tone. Well, the oh dear. Oh dear. Do it by the book or not. Yeah. You know. And that was some <laughs> of the fun came out of uh, the session that I ran of uh, Death on the Docks. That idea of the prohibition agents being, you know, a law unto themselves and the beat cops actually trying to do everything by the book, uh, showing the badge, arresting people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. What 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 is it that you're hoping to get from the session that we're doing in a couple of weeks? What are your stars and wishes from that? Don't don't do that. Don't do that. Stars and wishes. Yeah. What 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 would you want to get from the uh, the experience of doing it? Because you you haven't played it for forty years. Forty. Are you looking forward to playing it, or is it something? I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah, but. What are we playing? Are we playing mobsters, or are we playing? Are we playing the law enforcement? Law enforcement agents. Yeah. Well, you don't look. You don't look particularly excited by the prospect. <laughs> I don't know what I'm expecting from it. I don't know. I, I don't have any stars. I don't have any wishes. I think. <laughs> and maybe it may be a more coherent game where there isn't any nitroglycerin in my car. I don't know. If you put nitroglycerin in my car and I meet Al Toledo and his cigar going poof, I'll, I'll be annoyed. <laughs> I expect better from you. I guess that's what I think. If uh, I get that sense from you, I, I, do, I get that <laughs> yeah, sense, sense from me that, that uh, if it was a different, it, I mean, you don't respond like that to every game I pitch. No, I, I don't know what to expect from it because I don't, I don't quite know what to make of that, like the kind of gangster crime role playing game. Or maybe I'm not. I, I, you're a big, you're a massive fan of gangster films, aren't you? And I'm, 
less of a fan of gangster films, so maybe that that might have something to do with it. I don't think Gangbusters is necessarily a film, a, a, a game about gangsters. Mm. Even though it says it's gang- gangbusters on the yeah. gangbusters, it it really is about cops and robbers. It's about being a cop, being yeah. a cop, or just that kind of chase that mm. uh, in in an urban environment. Uh, that that's what it's all about. It doesn't necessarily emulate all the things from that kind of genre, and I do think it's a tricky one. And I've said this before, often at that. An individual's pursuit of power, pursuit of status, mm. and removing everything in the way. So, it's, role-playing games don't really do that, do they? They talk. It's more about a group dynamic, yeah. and that's what Gangbusters tries to bring out. It brings out the idea of a group rather than that individual gangster yeah. uh, as a player trying to cut through the uh, the ranks get hold of power and retain power and I think that's what is interesting for me I'm not particularly interested in crime I'm more interested in that that study of what it says about um, the human condition in a capitalist society yeah. Yeah. Uh, acquiring, that's what acquiring power in a ruthless manner only to realise that once you've acquired it and yeah. you're on everyone's list as the person who needs to be deposed. Yeah, and the heat's coming from all yeah. sides. But certainly, I'd say, yeah, Gangbusters doesn't do that. It's not, you need, if you want, you could do that in a role playing game, but it'd have to be a very specific style of role playing yeah. game, wouldn't it? Where other players could do you in and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and it has to reflect that heat, I think. Um, and, you know, as I've said before, I don't, I'm not seeing a, I'm not seeing a game that actually emulates that mm. or, Gives you that kind of experience. Uh, yeah. There might there might be one out there, but I've not found it yet that yeah. satisfactorily delivers what I like about a good gangster drama. Mm. I suppose it's whether that would be a good role playing experience. As exactly. Well. Yeah. As a player, I'm not sure as a player, but as a player, would I want that? Where you feel like you, yeah, you it, can't trust the other players. It's a bit of paranoia if you want that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, because it would necessarily mean, um, it, which never works particularly well, that people have different statuses and different hierarchies within a group, and and also you'd have to communicate outside the game, wouldn't you? If you wanted to replicate that idea of not trusting each other, then you'd have to have people communicating with the GM outside the game or with each other outside the game. Yeah. But you'd have become, to... would become quite a different experience from a role-playing perspective. The game... I mean, games sometimes do extend beyond the session, but it would almost necessitate that, wouldn't it, if it was that kind of game where all the players were mobsters and they had no actual loyalty to each other, so if the chips were down, you would yeah. whack one of the other players. But you'd have to, that would have to be done... There'd be all sorts of things going on outside the session, wouldn't there? Yeah, but you'd have to have some kind of code, some kind of understanding between everyone mm. for you to have a healthy um, campaign yeah. like that. <laughs> but what um, what the you know the gangster dramas show is that paranoia that somebody's going to snitch them to the. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's not necessarily that somebody's going to depose them. 
it is you know who's the rat in the camp you yeah, know yeah. that yeah. and uh, that paranoia of yeah. who's listening yeah. it's, it's that thing in Sopranos I love that every time he greets everyone here he is and he uh, gives them a big hug it's not because he's checking for wires he's checking for wires he's yeah. not he's not he doesn't it's not yeah. a show of affection, it's a demonstration of his paranoia. Yeah. I mean, he played, he played one shots. I suppose there are some games that do similar things. Alien does it with the agendas, doesn't it, where you can be pitted against each other with your agendas. But Sustaining that over a campaign. Yeah, yeah, it's whether you... Yeah, because even in Alien, the, the agendas thing is very much there's that cinematic mode of play where you have an agenda but it's short lived because it's a quite an action packed short lived scenario isn't it yeah because paranoia is the same you have agendas against each other but is paranoia a campaign type game yeah no. maybe but but the other thing that you have when you are a boss or an underboss is uh, status and some sense of security because you've got power and income and yeah. wealth around you and so you can buy off people yeah. and that kind of thing. Again, I don't. It, it'd be an interesting yeah. experience to try and create that. But in the meantime, we're going to play Gangbusters, and I know that the fun torpedo is looking like it's going to get fired at me. But I, <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it because it, it is the. It, 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 it's a playground. It's a. It's a theme park experience. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not going to enjoy it. I, I just don't have any style or wishes. I don't know what I expect. I don't know quite what to expect from it. Which I suppose is is based on that very very early experience of, you know, at times it felt confusing as a game. As I can remember those particular things, it's feel a bit confusing as a game at the time. Yeah, because I think for that reason, none of us knew quite what to do with it because we were 13. And, We'd only watch Bugsy Malone. I'll tell you, you will enjoy it. Otherwise, <laughs> poof. <laughs> See you later, Blinder. See you. Interview Open Box. Welcome to Open Box, where we look backwards to look forwards. How our gaming of the past has shaped how we play today. I am absolutely delighted to have on the show writer, designer, publisher of the latest version of Gangbusters BX. It's Mark Hunt. Hiya, Mark. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me on. Pleased to have you. So where in the world are you, Mark? I'm right now I'm in Iowa, the Quad Cities, Davenport, Iowa, near, uh, south of Chicago. And so have you always uh, lived in that area? I moved here after I retired. I just live in Michigan. Originally, I'm from Bitten Harbor, which is on, on the lake. And, you know, Michigan, we use the hand because it's straight like a mitten. So I was originally from here. Yeah. I moved over to here after the military at the middle of the state. Yeah, Michigan's got a, a good background with uh, role-playing games because, of course, Origins, of course, is the, yes. the big uh, convention there. Did, did you uh, attend that uh, back yes, in the day? Yes, I, yes, I did, yeah. yeah. To, go, to go there way back, yeah. That was, it was like awful, a special trip. Literally all of us, you know, we would all pile in during high school. We'd all make a field, you know, make a run. We'd all get, pull out, pull our money together. We're going to go and probably could afford maybe one or two books, you know, <laughs> you know, cause you know, back then you had to cut the grass and shovel snow, you know, and 10 bucks was a lot of money back then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So I can't imagine what it was uh, would have been like uh, back in the 80s origins. I mean, that 
must have been the site. Uh, you, you'd meet all the greats there, wouldn't you? That's uh, where they oh, were. Everybody. Yeah. Everyone was there. It was just like weird. It's like, you know, you go in this like, you know, you're rubbernecking and looking around. Just look to him. You talk, he's a grown man. I'm not going to go talk to him. You know, because we're all in high school. You know? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm not going to go talk to him asking for an autograph. We're not, you know, nerds. Come on, we don't do that. <laughs> now I look back and wish I had a time that get everything signed. Because it was in a smaller town. We would save up and like, you know, every two weeks or so, make the big trip to the big city to a hobby store. Right? If someone's in Michigan, they would probably know Writer's Hobby. That was like the big, you know, Hyder's Hobby Shop. So because we, we seen their advertisements in Dragon Magazine. We're like, oh, we didn't know they existed to the Dragon Magazine advertisement. So we would go. Talk about your first game. Can you remember that uh, first game and how that came about? My very first game was uh, D&D, of course. And I seen a guy reading the book on the bus. I was like, that looks interesting. Let me see that. He goes like, what? I seen, of course, you know, the blue book with the dragon in the front. This was, you know, back in 79. So it was way back. I seen that. He goes, I'm like, uh, can I can I read this t- t- tomorrow? On the go, sure. So of course he let me receive the book, and I went home and read it all night long. And this was way back when you know, the crazy stuff was going. My dad's like, let me see that book because you know the satanic panic, you know, was going on. So he read the book, gave it back to me, and goes, ah, let me know if you want a copy. I'm like, yeah, I do. I want a copy, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I told him it wasn't mine. So he says, yeah, okay. Uh, we'll go and get you one. And I was like, okay. So I had to, you know, cut grass for the week and make money. And then first chance I got, it, went and got me a BX, my own version. Poof. And I was ready to go from there. Uh, 40 years later, I'm still here playing. <laughs> and so who were you playing with uh, back then? Oh, probably uh, my local group of friends and stuff like that. We would just, you know, get together and make characters and play the game wrong and, you know, scale castles and do everything you wasn't supposed to do. We did it. You know, I'm sure half of our stuff was completely wrong and broken. And, but you know what? We had fun and no one cared. Just roll the dice and we'll figure it out. You know, what's this mean? I don't know. Get the dictionary. We look yeah. it up and figure stuff out and keep going. Were your friends uh, gamers with other games, or was it just D and D that caught your imagination? Well, D and D was that was the first big thing out. You remember where was that? Then when I went to the store, I found the the red book. You know the the regular version of D and D. You know when everyone knows. You know because it was like this is what was on the shelf. This yeah. version, you know. So this is the one I got. And it was different from the other version. I'm like, oh, they made little changes. So that's the one we got. A couple of guys got that. And probably uh, probably by the summertime, we went back. And then they had uh, Call of Cthulhu. Someone picked up Call of Cthulhu. Uh, someone else would pick up, I think they got uh, Powers and Perils later on. Someone else had uh, Heroes. We got Champions. Then we played Champions. Then we had, you know, Marvel Superhero. Every As we would go to the store back and forth, we all take turns buying a different game. You know, this is your game. This next time you buy a game. Next time you buy a game. So it was always something new. And we'd always find whatever was the, all right, we'd all get together. Which one do we want to buy? Well, I'll pull the money. We'll get this. This one belongs to you. Next one. We're going to get this one. This one belongs to you. And now we, you know, take turns. Yeah, we, we had a similar thing. So if you were a GM, and um, that was your game and nobody else had that game so right. you, you you owned it in the group yeah to avoid people reading things yes yes <laughs> that was 100 it right there my turn i seen gangbusters i was like "Ooh, this looks cool so i grabbed that because I mean, you know i knew all about the stuff so I'm like oh yeah this is you this is you 100 you so i got it read it 
boom, off and running. <laughs> so, so what was it about gangbusters that appealed to you then? Well, I knew about the, like the, you know, the thirties and pulp and stuff like that. So I knew all that era stuff. So I said, huh. And then, you know, the gangsters and Elliot Ness and about Elliot Ness and all those stuff like that. So I was like, okay, this is simple. It's easy. You know, cause fantasy was okay, but I, I do more off fantasy stuff. Like I like Westerns and, you know, gangster shows and science fiction. And, you know, we played D&D it was great, but I'd rather play this. Because we didn't really get um, things like the Untouchables and things like that in the UK. So that was that kind of uh, staple on TV at that time. Yeah, it was staples. You know, like you had like the Rockford Files, Kojak, Beretta, Columbo. All those were all detective shows. You know, I grew up in the 70s. So as a kid, we would watch all those shows. You could, you know, like Gunsmoke. You could always watch a good gun show smoke or, you know, you could always watch. You could turn on, you know, like, okay. It's the Rockford Files. So I remember like me and my dad, we'd always sit down and watch the Rockford Files. Or later on, me and my brother and I, we'd watch Kojak. And then we'd watch uh, Car, um, Car 54, Where Are You?, which was a police you know, comedy. Then we'd watch, you know, Starsky and Hutch. And all these police shows were huge during the 70s. So it fit. So it was like, ah, I got this. You know, I could run a police drama inside out. Uh, for your friends, were you running police dramas uh, rather than letting them be gangsters? Well, they could still be gangsters, but because I knew what the bad guys were going to do, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I was like, "Okay, the cops going to do this, so you guys going to do this." So and it, we played gangsters, we played reporters, we played politicians, we played uh, lawyers. We had, yes, we played all the different facets of gangbusters. We played over the years. It does give you um, kind of a blank sheet, doesn't it, for you to like a, a lakefront city is a bit of a playground for you to actually. Uh, have different types of adventure you're not fixed to the kind of adventure because i think initially we thought it was just going to be um having a career as a gangster but it, it is quite open like that isn't it yeah it's very open you can even you know they even have it set up where you can run uh, you know political campaigns with the rules that's sitting in there yeah so you can do that so you can just have like, okay, you're the board of this person, and you got to deal with the cops here, and then you got the crooked, you know, newspapers and all these different things. It's it's just an excellent tool set, and you can just expand on it if you just watch a few shows and then go, boom, let's watch this. Like, go watch The Untouchables, you know, one night and say, okay, what, are we gonna do? what can we do off of that? And then we watch this show. What can we do off of that? And we take all these shows and just pull little pieces. Like, okay, we're all going to be investigative reporters. Boom, done. So now we can investigate the cops. We can investigate the crooks. We can investigate other newspapers, you know, spoil milk problems. And, and you find out, like, for instance, when you look at, like, for instance, the milk. In America, we have used by dates and stuff like that. How that got done was due to Al Capone's brother dying from being poisoned. And he ended up getting the milk company and giving it to his lawyer. And they put this, the used by date. That's how that got started in America was because of Al Capone. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff like that. Just little small things that spun off of this era that just so permeates society now that you wouldn't think about it. If it wasn't for these, some of these crooks, it would never happen. And the, the term gangster is uh, an American expression, isn't it? That, um, And it was particularly applied to political uh, corruption. I think that's where it originates yes. from. Yes. Well, so like, for instance, like if you was going to do like an English version, I would, you know, you could do like uh, Teddy Boys. You could have like a gang of Teddy Boys out there and they could all there. Or you got like, you know, 
They could be like, you know, you got your crooked barrister and what he's got his hands in. And you could just twist all these things and make it fit. You know, you got your lawyers over here. What are they doing? And, you know, you could, OK, I'm going to take some of this, take some of that. And then you could put it, take some of this current politics and put it back in like the 1920s and 30s in, in London. Or maybe they're out, you know, out in Sheffield, they're doing something. How are you going to make that work? It, it's so wide open. You, just because it says America. You could take it, put it in Berlin and what was happening in Berlin during that time or what was happening in Spain in the 30s and what was going on there with fighting the fascists and smuggling across borders. You can use those same rules to cover that. In Paris, post between the wars, you can cover that using those same rules. So it's not like you just have to be gangsters. You can just, you can spin it. I think I think what's attractive about it though is the neighborhood it presents, isn't it? That original yes. box. And because the thing that's ingrained in my memory is that neighborhood and the map. Uh, that's that's the number of adventures we just had on those blocks. Uh, it really oh, yeah. conjures up uh, a lot of uh, later memories. I mean, do, do, is that is that where most of your adventures were set on that map? Oh, yeah, right there in that map. A lot of them right there at the map. And then of course. I had my own town, which is Lake, which is uh, Rock Junction, which is 30 miles away. It's like where Gary, Indiana is at compared to Chicago, because Lakefront City is Chicago. So mm-hmm. I, I made a fictional city, and we would run between the two so they could go cause trouble in one town and go hide out the other one, you know, and we'd go back to the neighborhood and such as, you know, Joe's Bar and Grill and the Red Rooster Tavern. And, you know, we could go to Eddie's Pool Hall. And we all, and everyone knew. If you go there, who's Eddie's? Okay, I need to talk to Big Eddie. All right. Well, I know he's at the red. So you could tell him, and everyone in the campaign knew what you were talking about. And that was so cool that you had the neighborhood feel to your game. Some of those locations as well. And, you know, when I hear Lexington Hotel, I'm, I'm, I'm there. You know. <laughs> that's the best thing about it. You know, and that's what they, when they um, took from like from the first edition to the third edition, because there's no second edition. Of gangbusters. Mm-hmm. It was a misprint. There's no second edition. So it goes from first to third. If you look <laughs> on there. So if you look in there, they took um Trouble Brewing was the name of the um, module, and they took it and they baked it into the set into the book. Because before the original gangbusters didn't have the setting, it was just generic rules. Ah, right, okay. And then they take it and they added it to it. And it says the special campaign module, Trouble Brewing. Now it's included into all in one book. Now they made it into one book in the third edition. So now you had the setting baked into it. Similar to the way uh, Traveler originally didn't have um, the Traveler universe. It was just Traveler. Then by the time 1981 came around, they added all their stuff into it, the second printing. They added all the Traveler rules into the book set. Coming back to it, Mark, uh, the thing that strikes me about it is the quality of the production, for one thing, and the quality of the modules. Yeah, well, they had to figure out a way to uh, make a uh, open city and put enough stuff in there, which was really, really hard. It was completely different for anything that they had done it to that point. They never had no big open city with all these locations. And then each one of these different locations had someone and had something how they were connected. So they had to figure that out, in which they did an excellent job. It was really well put together. Then they had the big map of the city. And they had did that, which broke down and all the different stuff, which was perfect. Because you think about it, D&D and stuff at the time didn't have all that. 
None of them, there was no big city map with all the locations. So this was like the first big, t- you know, Toho into, okay, we got to make a big city. We can make, you know, all these connections and then we can put a campaign that runs through the whole thing. And that's what they did. Do you remember playing those? So, I mean, we have a particular fond memories of uh, Murder in Harmony. Uh, yeah, Murder in Harmony. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Death for the Docks. I had all, you know, that was a good one there too. It was just, yeah, we played all of those and wound those into different stories. You know, sometimes we would take one campaign while we're doing another campaign and play the two together. So we'd stretch it out. So while we're investigating this part, this stuff would be going on. And then we'd have to go back to stop to do this. So it wasn't like it was a single issue. The, the town continued to flow. Time continued to go. So if you didn't do something while this was going on, the mayor would do it this stuff was going on in the background so you'd have to investigate over here and try to solve this case while keeping this eye on what was still happening you know the police raid was still happening the raids were going on so you'd have to juggle all this and that's what made the campaign really really live because people knew the world was alive it wasn't like you know they exist in a vacuum we did this one thing then we moved to one thing else no it's like we did this thing this connected to this and if we didn't stop to deal with the other stuff things would happen. And that's what made the game come alive for a lot of people. Yeah. My goodness. I, I don't know how I'd cope with that because I found um, trying to keep up, keep up to date with what all the things that are happening in Murder in Harmony um, hard enough on its own. I don't know how I'd cope if uh, Death in the Docks was taking place at the same time. What I did, I, um, I had a big old calendar and I would keep track of dates and times on the calendar. And people could tell me up to a week ahead of time, different stuff. Like, for instance, you're, if you wanted to play a foot patrolman, what you were doing this week and where you're at during this time. And, I, and during, this, during this time, I had 30 people playing. 30 people? 30 people playing. I had you know, five different groups. Okay. And we we're doing different stuff. Like, this group was doing the cops. This group was reporters. This group. So I was keeping track of what everyone was going on during these different times. So I um, then I would invite different groups. Your group needs to come, you know, tomorrow. You know, this time this group comes in this tomorrow, and they be on side of the table will be cops. Other side being a robber. Well, you told me you were robbing the bank at this time. That's what you're doing. And these cops have to be on patrol in that area. So uh, now, what you want to do? The cops would be trying to stop them, and, and people loved it. They had, you know, like because they knew the, the game was alive. It wasn't like just you know us against an NPC. Sometimes you might find out. It's the person you roughed up might be such and such his cousin. Now he's looking for you, you know. Wow, <laughs> so was fantastic. Like, oh. Fantastic. And everyone was like, oh, we've never seen that before in the game, you know. And like, yep. You know, it, it was just huge, huge fun, you know. And that campaign lasted for two years with 30 different people. Oh, we played during the summer. During the summertime, we really had fun because we could pull all-nighters. You know, when we were a kid, you could pull all-nighters, play all night long. Nowadays, it'd be hard for us, you know, to get that many people. <laughs> I'd be lucky to get good five or six nowadays because we, everyone's life is so busy. But back then, you know, back in the 80s, you could just play, you know, have fun. One of the other things that uh, strikes me about it, Mark, is how important the modules make of the um, ethnicity and the town as well in the city and yes. how those different factions interact with each other and the roles that they play but from your understanding of uh, what life was like in uh, chicago at that time is that is that pretty authentic that's authentic to all of america at that time 
Mm. All across the board. It was like, all right, the Italians are moving in. Then the Germans are upset. Then the, uh, you know, that then you got the Spaniards upset with these guys coming in. And all these different people are looking at, you know, all right, they only speak German in this part up in Duluth, Minnesota. Well, okay, they, well, they, we need them to make deals with, down, with the people down here. So we had to have an in-between. And all this different stuff, and that came into play when the character would say, all right, this character is supposed to be an Italian guy. All right, well, this character is a French guy. And this one, and how they went to different neighborhoods affected the outcome. So you knew how far you could get away with and things, you know, what you clearly couldn't do. And that, that came into play. And that's just how it was. With all the immigrants coming to America during that time, it became a truly melting pot. Mm. So it was front and center about when people where we did what and how what they could do. And I, th- I do think it gives it that sense of authenticity, doesn't it, of that neighbourhood yes. in yes, uh, Lakefront, Lakefront City really adds to it. That's great that you had uh, such a massive campaign with so many people involved. Oh, it's, it was so much fun, so much fun. <laughs> but it was just interesting, the stuff like that. They have so many people do it that made the game so alive. And that's what happens when you get a good group mm-hmm. and everyone's buying into a game, it works. You know, this one with anything. You got to have someone that wants to play that type of game. And do you know anything of the history of the game and how it came about and the authors? Were they on the payroll at TSR or were they freelancers? Uh, they were uh, at first, initially, the game was submitted under it was called the Bloody Twenties. All right. And it used a D20 and it used a, um, it used a completely different mechanic instead of a percentage dice. It used a D20 chart, you know, like, you know, back then, you know, they were big into having a one page chart and do stuff like that. And I have some of the original rules of how they were presented. I have some of the original forms and stuff like that because I talked to the guy who originally created it and stuff like that. I got some information, you know, how that worked out. And so they submitted to as bloody 20s. And so they had to change it and they were worried about how it was going to be presented into this, you know, cops versus robbers and you're playing bad guys and how, so they had to they play that one part, play it down the other parts. And it was weird because they were trying to figure out how to sell this. You don't want to promote dang mafia violent stuff, but you wanted to sell your product. So it was like a, it was a weird dichotomy. That's probably why it didn't get pushed probably because the marketing department was probably not too keen on putting some guy with a Tommy gun, you know, during when right in the middle of the satanic panic, they have, you know, bad enough. The churches looking at them and the press and everything. And then you got them guys talking about having a street fight, you know, downtown Chicago. It's like, uh, not a good look, you know, Rick Krebs and uh, Mark Akers is the two that guys who originally created it. Krebs had came up with the concept and made it and put it all together. And then they got Akers to help them uh, design it and flesh it out and change it up. And they play tested it and different stuff. And some of his stuff is still into the system. If you look at it now, they did an excellent job of making it work. And they had a brilliant concept. It's just, I believe they didn't have the means to market it, to push it like they really wanted to, to make it have legs. Because it doesn't have a lot of modules of the original work out there. It, it is uh, it is quite a simple system, isn't it? As you say, it uses uh, percentiles based on attribute. Um, with with the exception of presence, which works uh, differently, um, and and uh, presence pay, plays a big role in the game, doesn't it? Yes, it does. How well your character is perceived is very, very important. 
some of the things that they introduced though are quite in- innovative for the period, aren't they? They some of the, the those, those mechanics. I, I what what are the things that stand out for you in terms of uh, how the game works mechanically? Well, you have the law system for one. The character could literally go to court, defend himself, and or evade a crime by having a competent lawyer and convincing a jury and you know beating the rat. You know that was. You never just never seen that in a DD game when a guy goes to jail. Come on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> when does you know the guy with the who's gonna ride up and the knight's gonna hit him in the head, drag him off to jail? You've never seen that, you know. It's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like, what? You go to jail? Yep, yep. Serve a police warrant, drag him off. So that was really innovative. I like that. And the present system was really, really good. How you can influence things and different people. I like that. And the politics, how you can run for office and influence how things happened around the city and how people looked around. And that was really, really innovative. I like that. Yeah. So it's really geared towards campaign play, isn't it? I'm uh, due to play a one shot on Sunday for uh, the Vanishing Investigator. And so okay. I'm just uh, I'm I'm just doing the opening bit actually. Um, so any tips for me uh, on running that? What how to get the best out of it? How to get the best out? I would just keep it simple. Describe stuff. Get to set the tone. You got to explain like is it a rainy, dreary day as you approach the building and as you know the shadows that flicker off the headlights coming up. You might have sent. Give me a perception check. All right. You notice that the guy in the glasses who's, there, who's giving you a sideways glance as he's fingering inside of his coat. Is he or is he not carrying a weapon? Uh, what do you wish to do? You know, yeah. and you, you know, you give these guys, give them a, a set of tone for them and let them explore the world. That's the key. Let them explore the world and have answers. You don't have to have yeah. all the answers, but have answers and ask them, what do you think? What would uh, you like to check next? You know, you want, okay, you offer clues. Hmm. Have you thought about talking such, or what about this guy? Remember this guy you seen down there? Oh, yeah, yeah, we did see Bill down there. Well, let's, maybe we should go talk to him. What do you think you ought to do? You know, sometimes you have to prod your players, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, give them clues and then let them explore the world. Oh, that's a really good tip, that actually, because um, with this, uh, with this uh, scenario, this setup, it's um, where, uh, a witness is being a, a mob member who's been flipped is uh, turning up to court, but of course, uh, does he get to court? And right. uh, you know that's the that that that's the the scene we're going to uh, we're going to play out. So that's that's good actually to perhaps have them doing a recce beforehand, find out what's going on, who's on the street, and maybe you might find out that maybe a relative they might be at the camp out the night before. If they look around, you never know. You never know what they might come up with. And go for it sometime. Like, you know what? Sure, let's try it out. Remember, they have luck. Maybe guy's lucky. Yeah, your your second cousin happens to live there. There. Maybe he knows something about what's going on. You know? Yeah. You never know. You know, let let them let them have some leash. This is yeah. a let them, let them have a leash. It's an old pulp movie. Things happen, you know. Yeah. When in doubt, kick the door open and have some guy come here with a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> when you can stop what's going on, you know, like, oh, what happened there? I don't know. He's dead now. Too bad we can't question him. You know, you know, just let people have fun. Let's talk about uh, your version of uh, Gangbusters because you've uh, you've actually got the license, haven't you, to uh, yes to, to to bring out your your version, and you've done it as uh, BX. So just talk through um, some of the decisions around that and how that came about. 
Well, um, I was talking to um, Rick Krebs, the original, the guy who wrote it, and how it reverted back to him and stuff. I was talking about, you know, maybe, you know, he, you know, he had, was tired. He was old and just was done with, you know, I was, you know, he was done with making games. He didn't need to do that no more. Mm-hmm. So he just like, so I was talking about, man, I really love this game. This was back when Google Plus was still going on. Right. The old thing. And so I was, you know, talking back and forth with him about how I really liked the game and different stuff. And so I wrote an adventure. Boom. I wrote an adventure and I showed it to him. He's like, oh, this is pretty good. I like this. You know, and it was using the original system. You know, I was like, you know, I would like to make some more stuff. So, yeah, go ahead. So, I, okay. So I made a few more things, you know. <laughs> then I was like, man, I would like to, I would like to, you know, redo the game. And he's like, well, I don't want to put, out the game again, and he was happy the way it was at, you know, he felt it was great. So he says, but I might be, I'd be open to a retro clone of some sort or different stuff like that. I'm like, he goes, yeah, I think you get, you got a good shot of doing it. You go ahead. Oh, brilliant. So I made, yeah. So I, you know, I did it. And then first thing, so I put out some stuff for drive through RPG. Then someone said, oh, you can't do this. You're stealing this. Someone was trying to accuse me of stealing the prop, the name and stuff like that. And mm. they get a hold of Wizard of Coast. They were like, oh, he's doing this and that. And you're still this from Wizard of Coast. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. And first of all, you're wrong. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so after I went through this rigmarole and convinced all these people that you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about. If you want to know something, maybe you should have talked to me first before you ran and tried to interfere with my business, you know? So mm. we got that straightened out. And I said, okay, stop. I'm going to stop for a minute because I don't have to keep going through these hoops. So I stopped, went to the, you know, the U.S. government, got my trademarks and got all my stuff, paperwork done. I waited till everything got done. Then I continued on. So I originally was making stuff for the uh, original game system. Mm-hmm. So I made a few books for, that you can still use for the original system. Then I made character cards that you can use. If you've seen some of like if you're looking at the actual character cards, you can literally play all those characters. As is, right off the box, pull them out, boom, ready to go, as ready to go. So there's character cards you can use, and there's books and adventures to expand on the original game mechanics. So I said, okay, well, I want to put out, someone keep asking me to put out the book. I kept getting asked, put out, can you, because you had the only way you can play it was find the old game. And all this has been 30 years, so good luck yeah. finding it. If you could find it, yet half of it was missing or not all there. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do a retro clone. I'm going to make it. And people are like, well, do d and I'm like, I could do d and I like BX. That's the game I grew up with. So I looked and said, how can I take those mechanics to have it simulate gangbusters? So I had to look hard. Like, for instance, d is armor class. Well, in my version, I took the concept of presence and turned it into armor class. How you dress and how you carry yourself give you your armor class because if you think about gangster pictures they always had suits on was always sharp and, and those are the guys who always survived so i was like well that's how i'm doing the you know the, the better you look the harder it is for them to take you out because your presence oh man that's billy oh i don't know if i should shoot him because he's the boss man so so i transfer it because armor is not necessarily just how well you can take damage it's your mm-hmm. whole or in presence and combat. And so I turned all that from, all right, you look wearing, you know, you got your little top hat on, your cane and your little stuff. So poof, armor class seven or two or different stuff. 
You know, you got your little pinstripe suit on, you're ready to go, and you got Armor Class Five. And so your work, your work club, you're a scrub, Armor Class Seven. You, you know, you're just a working man, so you're liable to get bumped off because you're just a nobody. You know, <laughs> if you carried yourself like a nobody, you get, you get shot off like a nobody. You know, so I said that's how it. You know, that simulated the genre, so I put that into place. Brilliant. So, I, <laughs> so I was looking at like, like, okay, I figured, okay. How do we get information out of people? Because that was really a big part of the game. Mm. You know, I'm getting, so I put, I looked at the influence table and I turned it into my roughing out table. You could take it and rough a guy up. Tell me what I want, Freddie. You know, so you roll the dice and boom, you, you confirm. Oh, instead of turning him from evil, like turn away ghost, I turned that to roughing someone up and whether or not he'd talk. <laughs> so I took that and put that into place. And I took similar stuff like that, different, you know, you know, how you can hide in shadows and all those different things like that was useful in the same game. So I took all the elements I could and then I created different systems that work like the law system. I converted that over. So I made, so you can still go to jail. You can still be arrested. You can still defend all the stuff you could do in the original. You can now do in the BX version. And that's what I tried to make then. Okay. Since we had the BX version, now you can add monsters if you want it necessarily doesn't have to be a real monster. It could be a, a guy dressed as a werewolf, but you can use the stats as a werewolf until someone knows better. Treat him as a real werewolf. You know, <laughs> like I thought of like Frankenstein, you know, Abacastel meets Frankenstein. You can run that kind of game. You can run all these different different stuff like Bulldog Drumming. Boom, you can run that. You could have all these gangsters using the BX rules and monsters and counters and stuff. You had 40 years of stuff that you can now convert. Like the Sinister Salt Marsh, that module from uh, D&D, where it's basically, it's a Scooby-Doo adventure. Just have mm-hmm. the guys go on exploring in there. And instead yeah. of monsters and out there, people just wearing masks you know, or gangsters. You just change it a little bit and you're ready to go. I think what you do really well in this version, Mark, is a couple of things. First, first thing is um, it very clearly sets out the type of, campaign you can run and that's obviously come from your experience of uh, running those campaigns so you, you do that really well and the other thing is um the um character progression because it only in the original rules it only kind of p- plays a bit of it just touches on that doesn't it on the different levels that you can raise and how a gangster can start small and build up but you, you put a lot of focus on that don't you Yes, I did. I tried to make it clear that not just gangsters, but reporters and different stuff. You can do different things and how you want to play your character. And that was like, you try to set to establish up front how, what, what's the game's going to be about. And if you get an understanding up front, then you can see how everyone's going to progress through the game. And it's clear what steps you need to be where you need to get there. And I think it just works better for everybody. It's just an add on which the game needed. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you've got some uh, good tips on how to uh, run businesses in here and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> examples of a hustle and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, examples of the hustle, I put it in there. Because, you know, so, a lot of people, you know, how are you going to simulate, you know, running a, a cookie shoe shine store, running a, a chop shop? Well, instead of having rules for all the different stuff, make it pretty generic and then twist little things so you can have your lieutenant run stuff and have stuff making the background. So it just... Because that's part of the game, but it's not a bookkeeping. You don't want to be like, 
I need 45 crates of this and make 16 ounces of it. No one wants to do all the bookkeeping. Just mm-hmm. make it, keep it simple. Keep it simple and keep it flowing. And as long as you have a way to track it, the game will work. And you've mentioned that you've brought out um, supporting material for the game. Um, have you got plans to bring out more? What, what's, what's on the horizon? Yes. I'm going to probably do an expert book with more details, more stuff. I got more cities and more adventures coming. Yeah. It's just been, everything's just been, you know, the last year or so has been, <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's been yeah. sideways. Everything went sideways for a while. So, you know, so yeah. after this stuff clears up, probably, hopefully in a couple of months, I got a book I'm working on, a section of ventures that I'm going to start. I'm going to try to do three a year, every quarter, come up with something. Unless something goes wrong, you know, I'm also might be looking soon to get more people to submit stuff for the game. I'd like to do an additional two or three books from other people, which I've done. I had some few people make some stuff for me. If you notice, if you look on Drive Through RPG, mm. I have a lot. I've, 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 now I've put out more stuff than the original TSR has for the game. <laughs> Think and, about that. And if people, if people are listening, um, to, to the podcast and the what a starting point where would you say they should start with i mean obviously the the, the rules but what, yeah. what what what's worth uh, in, investigating and uh, as a starting point uh probably welcome to rock junction is an excellent one and then uh joe's diner joe's diner probably would might be even better joe's diner sets up like the proverbial we all meet at the tavern instead of a tavern it's joe's diner <laughs> yeah. And inside, there's like probably 20, 25 adventure seeds and leads. There's NPCs and background and how to connect it. And then when you get walking to Rock Junction, Joe's Diner is in the city of Rock Junction. And then it gives you even more leads and connections and how to bring stuff together. Then you got like a day at the race, you got the dog tracks and all the different stuff. And each one of the different adventures that I've had builds upon itself. One day, I would love to do a box set of the city, do a map, another map and another big stuff, combine all these into, you know, and clean them up and combine them into one big boom, one big book with a new map and new everything, just like they did the, you know, the other game, have just one big one. That, that, that would be great. Joe Diner was, uh, Joe Diner was recommended to me uh, by um, Pookie, who, uh, yeah. who said that's a, that's a great one to start with. Yeah. Yeah. It is the best. I think that was the, that was like I think that was like the second book I did. No wait, no, it was the first one. It was the first one I did after I did the after that was the first big one I did because I it was like firstly originally it was like six seven pages, and then I expanded onto it like seventeen, and I showed them they're like, oh yeah, this is it. Joe's Diner gives you every single thing you need. If if you're gonna play, you had to buy one one book after the rules. Joe's Diner would be it. That would absolutely be the one. I, if I only could afford one other thing, that would be the one I would buy. Because you could literally play a year just off of that one book. A year. If you play every weekend, you could play one year out of that one book. Are you? Do you play regularly now? Are you still playing uh, Gangbusters? I haven't really played much lately because, well, yeah, I, I'd like to. I'd like to. I'm gonna try to get into a game Friday. I'm gonna invite into a game. The guy wants to do something on. He posted into our uh, Facebook group. I'm like, if I can get in, I'm gonna try to join his game. But I'd like to get in and play more if possible. Because I just, just things just been crazy. I've been able to 
I haven't even been able to play it locally. So it's yeah, just yeah. It's just what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, how Gangbusters developed. And thank you very much for sharing your experiences, Mark. It's been great having you. Thank you for having me. It's been excellent talking to you. I'll get me caught. Okay, welcome back, Blythe. It's that point of the podcast where we've got our coats on. Yeah. We're edging towards the door. Yeah. If, if we carry on talking with our coats on, we're not going to feel the, feel the benefit. No, but we do for 10 minutes. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just stand here talking. Yeah. And, uh, and some things, some closing time remarks, mm. uh, things that have caught your attention over the last uh, month or so. Do you want me to start off? You start. You go on. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna raise something I've observed. And I, I don't know whether it's a hunch or whether it's... Uh, I can't verify it with evidence. Mm. I can't provide evidence. I haven't got the statistics no, to back no. this up. Is your evidence... Purely anecdotal. Purely Is that anecdotal. The best phrase? Anecdotal evidence. Uh, anecdotal yeah. evidence. I get this sense, this feeling, that um, for some people, so some people who come along with a ride with us, so mm. revisited some of the um, old stuff, got up to the loft and started playing, uh, reading it and playing it, and uh, doing that. that somehow it's, people are going back onto a, a hiatus. Mm. That somehow, there's, I don't know, a bit of a shift in energy towards uh, RPGs amongst our kind of constituency, if you like. And I, I, don't know what it, I, I don't know whether it is a real thing, and that's what one yeah. thing that you, you, you might want to comment on. But I wonder what it, what, what it is. I, I don't know whether it's because it's been a weird two years and pandemic yeah, I think, has I, I, I think it could be two things. If that is the case, it could be two things, couldn't it? I think you're right. The... Um, the last two years have been strange because I think back to 2020 and I bought lots of games in 2020 during lockdown and went slightly nuts reading all these games but not playing them all but but buying game after game after game (laughs) and you think I suppose when you come out of that and I mean it's not it's not to say life's getting back to normal I mean it's a bit of a still a bit of a, a bumpy ride as they say isn't it yeah, you know, we've had that recently with the Omicron, the Omicron, Doctor Who and the Omicrons. We've had that, haven't we? Um, yeah. Which sort of it's still continuing. But I suppose maybe life getting back to normal and people doing other things as yeah. maybe maybe sitting at home in lockdown last not last year, but the year before. Yeah, um, maybe that people sank very deeply into role playing games and clambering out of that hole. So could it be a bit of Overindulgence could so, be, couldn't it? Uh, uh, mm. Yeah, because I, I think I, I, the other thing, though, and a wider thing, and, and this is why we stopped playing, isn't it? Um, in the you know our last our last game before Deep Freeze was '92, famously the general election of '92, called Cthulhu, and then we picked it up again in the the mid '90s. But the, it's a very absorbing hobby, isn't it? Yeah, but one of the beauties of role playing games. It's, people talk about lonely fun it's it's a very absorbing hobby isn't it yeah. you can get into it and particularly if you run games 
you can sit at home planning scenarios, reading campaigns, planning stuff. It's very absorbing. It occupies your thoughts, doesn't it? As well. Yeah, it occupies you know, your so thoughts. You're, you're I'm, I'm a like, shower and, uh, yeah, you're, I'm driving. driving to work and I'm thinking about that that convention game that I'm running in a couple of months and thinking, yeah, I need to sort that. There's a bit of a plot twist there I need to look at and what, what kind of monsters I should play. And that's a brilliant part of the hobby that you can play role-playing games when you're not playing them. Yeah. But I suppose the downside is it can become very very absorbing yeah and it's very tight can be very time consuming yeah and, and all it takes is for life to shift or you get busy or or for games maybe to disappoint you yeah you know, we've all done that haven't we? we've all planned and planned and planned a game and run it and whilst it might not have been a bad one it might have been a bit disappointing more disappointing the planning was more fun than the execution of it yeah. and that can leave you and that that did happen in the late 80s and early 90s that is I remember that happened to us we spent a lot of time planning games and being immersed in it and then when we played the games they were they didn't quite live up to our expectations and that that can be part of it as well I think yeah. sometimes yeah. Because it's not only a question of time because people do say oh well you know time squeeze or family is getting in the way real life's getting in the way it's a question of energy as well isn't it because yeah. it does require a degree of energy mm. and I do think one of the other outcomes of the uh, pandemic is that we've been playing a lot online and you know what I realised at the end of last year playing those convention games again is that that is energising isn't it mm. um, and there is a bit of Monotony. I don't know. I, I don't get me wrong. I, I don't feel the sense of it, but myself personally, but I can feel like a, a shift in the tides of yeah. energy. Maybe we're entering a new period of. Mm. Uh, I might be wrong. I get. I do these long range <laughs> forecasts, and usually wrong. <laughs> usually wrong, but yeah, but. It, it can happen. It can happen to people. I mean, people talk about it. So we talk about it's burnout, don't they? But yeah. it's not so much burnout. It, it's something more than that, isn't it? It's more, I don't know, combination of yeah. maybe a combination of coming out of COVID and lockdown and other things happen, starting to happen. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, is it one of those things where it's very different? It's an all or nothing thing. Maybe, you know, your commitment yeah. to role playing. Yeah. Once you get into it as a kind of totally all consuming I think it is time. If you, it, it might be less the case if you just play. Maybe if you just turn up and play that yeah. that's less of an issue because you can just turn up and sit down and go, Right, okay, where, where are we up to in this game? You know, even yeah. if it's a long running campaign, you just have to turn up, don't you, and enjoy yourself. It's the game is mastering and the running of games that's the or consuming thing and, but then most people do a bit of both don't they so most people do run games or want to run games and I suppose it does that does become all consuming doesn't it yes yeah yeah no it's just something I've observed and it'd be interesting to track to see whether it does manifest itself yeah. in uh, different ways yeah well my the thing that caught my eye and I suppose it sort of ties into this in a way I was reading recently as you know, I, I'm having my uh, second marriage to Traveller, my yes. Richard Burton-esque second marriage to Traveller. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Reacquainting yourself. Re Reacquainting, yeah, yeah. Rediscovering the things that Rediscover you loved about each other. Absolutely. Things that yeah. irritated you, but you're willing but to I'm, overlook it. But, but they're endearing now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, they're endearing. The fact it only uses D6s is endearing now, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was reading The Pirates of Drinax. 
Yeah. So uh, this is this big, big campaign. Big campaign. Yeah. There's a few people tweeted about this and have played it. And it, it is it is really very it's really tempting to run it. It's really good. It's a really good campaign. The bits I've read of it, it's a slightly I suppose it has a more space opera esque feel to it actually. It reminded me a bit of Blake Seven, you know, it has yeah. that kind of you know, you, yeah, you, you you're that. there in the court of King Oleb, the pirate king on this planet, this floating city. You know, and you think, Wait, well, hey, this is what travellers should be. This is good, yeah. you know. But the question it raises, and I suppose it does tie into what you've said, um, it's time, isn't it? Where to fit it in? It's when to fit in because it's a big, it's a big campaign. You're looking at, you're looking at, I would say, a year if you're lucky, longer if you yeah. really play it properly, you know. And if you were playing every two weeks, once a, once a month doesn't. Well, I'd only once a month quite do it justice. It might be after every other week. Well, we're finding that with uh, Children of Fear, mm. aren't we? We're doing that monthly. And I'm enjoying it, but it does lose its momentum. A monthly game, yeah. lose it. You, you need more regular sessions, don't yeah. you? Cause Particularly if it's an ongoing campaign. I mean, monthly, if it's episodic, it's not so bad, is it? But no. but when it's all interconnected, you know. But it, the Patch of Drain actually is, is really, really appealing. Um, and, and does look really, really good, but it's just time, isn't it? It's when when do I fit this in? Well, I've got. Uh, I, I've noticed um, around that RuneQuest is in the air. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you can see. You think that's what's putting people off roleplay? <laughs> so that's what's happening. <laughs> I, possibly, possibly. Because <laughs> Baz is uh, uh, from uh, the Smart Party. He's done a new podcast. Oh, right, We're looking yeah. at the starter set. That starter set's um, gone out and um, it's, mm. it's receiving a lot of attention. I've not opened mine. I got mine weeks ago. What have you got a starter set? What have you got that for? Well, it's got new stuff in it, hasn't it? it? Oh, yeah, right. yeah. I was going to say, you don't need that. But I, I've not taken it out of its wrapper yet because it feels like <laughs> a momentous thing to do. You know, I feel like... I, I keep looking at it, and as you know, I've been busy over the last few weeks, mm. and I feel like I need to, you know, yeah. sit there with my pants with a packet of Maltesers and a brew, yeah. and I just... It, it surprises, isn't it, how the starter sets that have that impact. I know when we were at Grogme, Ian Cooper did talk about that, didn't he, yeah. in the Frankenstein's podcast, he talked about starter set, and it, they do work, don't they? They do work from a marketing perspective, because they release a starter set, it's kind of affordable, and people go for it, don't they? Yeah, it creates a bit of a buzz, doesn't it? Mm. Around it? Mm. But it, it reminds me once again that I'm not playing RuneQuest for a while. Yeah. A bit like you, it's just wondering where to fit it in. Where do you fit it in? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this month we see the return of uh, going back to Eddie's and doing face to face. Yeah. Not because the pandemic's easing restrictions, it's because he's got a bigger kitchen table. So he's managed to get one. Has he got a table now? I'm hoping so. We're going round now, aren't we? Well, we're going round, but I, I think we're going round table or no table, aren't we? It's, oh, right. I Is think it? it's... I, I, don't, I don't know. We'll find out. But I think what we said was... I we, thought we need was... to We need to play games together, whether you've got a table or not. I'll, roll, ah, I'll sit right. in a chair and I'll roll my dice on the floor if it comes to I it. I was expecting this reclaimed wood well, thing. Well, he might, he might. Head he bridge might. or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, coming, he might. Yeah. But anyway, that's beside <laughs> the point. He, he's, he's reviving our uh, RuneQuest game that we played a few years ago, mm. set in Balazar and uh, Griffin Mountain. Yeah. But like you, I've got an eye on uh, running a campaign, a RuneQuest campaign. And that's very telling, isn't it? 
We're going back into our comfort we games. We are going back to our comfort games. Reinvigor- I mean, they reinvigorated games, though, aren't they? I mean, Traveller is... It, it, it really isn't the same. It is the same game, but it also isn't. There's a lot more going on in it. It's a lot more colourful, a lot more detail and background and all sorts of... The character creation is similar, but there's lots of different backgrounds you can pick now, you know, yeah. rather than just those basic ones. Well, it's, as you know, with... Uh, Request Galante. There's a lot, lot more. There's a lot, lot more. Yeah, that's the odd thing. We're going, we're going back to games, but we're not really going back to games. Are we? We're not. We're not. You're not going back to Runequest Second Edition, and I'm not going back to Traveller's Little Black Books. I'm going back to Mongoose, humongous, humongous, humongous <laughs> volumes of you know stuff. Aliens of Charted Space, etc., etc. That that said, though. I'm not going to ignore the stuff that's come out, but I'm going to set it in Prax rather than uh, Dragon Prax. Yeah. I've got this idea of setting it around the block. And, you know, when I look back, what were the things that excited me about RuneQuest back then? Well, the first thing, I used to like episodic adventures, that it was like a story yeah. arc, because that's what Borderlands, that's what, that, why that works, isn't it? I love the monsters, so I've got this idea of doing, like, Monsters of the Week. And also, I loved all the Prax stuff, all the Moracanth. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Riding like bison, isn't it? Yeah, but, bison yeah. riders and all yeah. that stuff, and all the Stormbull stuff, and yeah. just going on a chaos hunt is. Uh, what's the Witcher? I think you could actually, you could actually <laughs> yeah. do something around that, couldn't you? Like the. Uh, well, that's the thing with RuneQuest. That that's how it, we played it. It was it was kind of action adventure, monster hunting, yeah. chaos nests, all that kind of thing. So that's what it's going to be. Sometimes that, dare I say it, sometimes that gets a little bit lost in modern RuneQuest, doesn't it, I think? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm going to have a sense of adventure. Mm. But where I'm going to fit it in, I do not know. That is, that is probably our challenge for this year, isn't it? To try and fit these things in somehow. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we're not allowed to record this in the pub anymore. But it doesn't mean to say that we can't go to the pub. No, we're just not going to record in the pub. So we're going now. Let's yeah. go now. Come on. Yeah, all right. <laughs> See you later, Phil. Bye. Bye. The good friends of Jackson Elias are Scott Dawood, Paul Fricker and Matthew Sanderson. And together, they talk on their podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and weird fiction, as well as other horror role-playing games. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or head over to BlasphemousTomes.com. I've really enjoyed returning to Gangbusters for this episode as it's restored my feelings of warm nostalgia for the game and it restored some of the feelings I had of playing it in the 80s when I would want to get out of the experience of playing it now. It's that kind of nostalgic energy that inspired me to do this podcast in the first place. I have another game planned for the Weekend with the Good Friends convention hosted by the listeners of the good friends of Jackson Elias. Blythe is running Vase in there too. Head over to the Discord channel if you're interested in taking part in that over the weekend of the 18th of February 2022. I'll also remind you that I appeared on the good friends of Jackson Elias to discuss gangsters in Call of Cthulhu, and during that wide-ranging discussion, we cover some of the ethical challenges in playing criminals in your games. 
It was also followed by another episode where we talked about Tashiki Miki's Gozu, which was one of my most entertaining guest appearances ever. Sure, I've appeared in other great podcasts. You can see the list on the GrogPod page over at thegrognardfiles.com. But this one was special, as it's not often that you get to talk about a bonkers Yakuza horror urban fantasy dreamscape art comedy film. Don't miss it. In 2021, we lost our friend Mike Hobbs, who was the host of Meeples and Miniatures podcast, and he was a great supporter of the Grognard Files. Mike was generous, funny, and a serious gamer who we missed terribly. At Grogmeet, we launched a Just Giving campaign to raise money as a memorial for Mike, and we'll be using these funds to pass on his love of gaming to others, specifically young people to inspire them to play games. We raised over £2,000, which is a testament to Mike and his friends on the Grog Squad and the wargaming community in the UK. But we need your help to identify groups who could benefit from new games. They need to be a school or a youth community group who are already established or about to be formed. We're working with Joe and Chris, our friends at bonamygames.uk, to create packages to send to groups. And Wayne Peters has designed a logo in memory of Mike the Welsh Wizard, and the games will all be badged with this logo. Thanks, Wayne. If you know of a group that will benefit, perhaps you're a teacher that runs a group at break time, or a youth leader in your community, or your children attend a gaming group, then please let me know at dirtthedice at gmail.com. It's open to anywhere in the UK, especially Wales. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you're a Patreon, make sure you have your RSS plugged in. I don't even know what that means. Because I recorded an actual play of the gangbusters at the One Shot Club, so I'll be making it available uh, shortly. We have a Patreon campaign where you can throw coins into the tip jar to support this podcast and keep it going. There's been some comings and goings over the past couple of months. Thanks to anyone who's contributed over the years. It's really appreciated. It keeps us motivated and funds reinvestment into the podcast to create more content as well as supporting the other side projects. These are the latest to join the honorary armchair adventurers at the armchair level ed willems and scott butler thank you anyone who tips above the sofa so good level gets a special gift that i roll at random from a table of the game under discussion this time i've turned to the back of the gangbusters rules and found the statistics for real life gangsters this time it's not gifts it's a rose gallery of villains to present before you for judgment. Okay, so first up is Justin Horrell. He was the editor of Drew and Crawl, if you remember episode 14 when we were talking about fanzines. Brookside RPG, What I Wrote, appeared in that magazine and he sent me some scans of my correspondence from back then. Good grief. Keep your eyes on the blog for more details. So his avatar is Dot Barker. Skill, auto theft, 58. 
Okay, next is James McMillan. Bugsy Siegel. Did you take the money, Bugsy? Alexander Kelly. Joseph Yellow Kid Wheel. Master Con Man. And uh, UK Gamers Podcast. Pretty Boy Floyd. It's just another bank job. Jesse Charette. Arnold Rothstein. The big time gambler and grifter. Next it's John Wood. Oh, he's hit big with Scarface Capone. And next, Paul Clammer is Charlie Luck Luciano. Thanks to you all. Now, there are a couple of people have gone for the high back chair. And I'm going to call these the untouchables. So we've got Steve, he's got Marty Lahat. And last but not least, Mark Kitchen. Elliot Ness. Never stop fighting until the fighting's done. Thank you very much. That's it. The end of another Grog Pod. In the second part, Judge Blythe will be delving into the Gangbusters rules and we'll be watching the 1987 film The Untouchables in the Groggle Box. Also next time, we begin a brand new segment, Appendix G, with a guest from the Grog Squad. I'll tease you with the details for now. But Vaughan Allen will be bouncing over the bonnet of his Capri. And until then, I hate this job. Adios, amigos.